You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Hey man, you can be seated and good morning to the 10 o'clock. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope it was good relationship time with family and friends and good relationship time with food as, as well. You know, all of human history is divided into two parts, of course. You've got B.C. And, and A.D. B.C. meaning before Christ. A.D. does not mean after death. It means Anno Domini, the, the year of our Lord. So quite literally, when Christ came, all of history was, was split in two. The, the tipping point of history happened when Christ came. The, the everything changed point was when Christ came into our world. So we begin a brand new series today called Christ Has Come, and this is going to carry us for five weeks, including today. And in those five weeks, we're going to see five things, just one per week, of what happened. Like what happened to us, what happened in the world, what happened in the unseen, what happened when Christ came. Christ has come. And so the thing that we're going to look at today is simply this. We can now relate to God in a new way, because Christ has entered into the stream of humanity Because Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, entered into our world. We can now relate to God in in a new way. Today I'm going to preach, excuse me, no I'm not, I'm going to, but I'm going to teach more than I preach today. And so this is going to be a note taker's delight today. So if you want to write down a few things of of what happened when Christ has come, I'm going to give you the opportunity to to do that. But we're going to have to start in the Old Testament. Because we need to see, first of all, the limited grace of God that came through the law. The old testimony of God, if you will. So there's a limited grace of God, the limited favor of God, limited forgiveness of God, uh, the limited even presence of God to God's people that came through the law. So with your copy of God's word, would you go with me, please, to the second book in the Bible, the second book in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 24 together. Exodus 24. And let's see what was the limited grace of God. Because that grace came through the law, our obedience or our adherence to the law. Let's begin in Exodus chapter 24. We're going to walk through this chapter together and see the limited grace of God that came, make sure you hear me say this correctly, through the law. Exodus 24, let's begin in verse 1. Then he, meaning God, said to Moses, come up to the Lord, come up to Yahweh. This was God calling Moses to come up to himself. You and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from, this is key, and worship from afar. Verse 2, Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people, they shall not come up with him. In other words, they need to stay at the base of the mountain. Here's the first thing I want you to see about the limited grace of God that came through the law. Access to God was for the elite. God said, I want you to bring Aaron with you, Moses, and I want you to bring Aaron's two sons as well. And then 70 of the leaders, 70 elders, they can come up the mountain. Now those 73, they're going to come and worship, but it says here in verse 1, still from afar. There's still going to be some separation. There's still going to be some distance from the actual presence of God. Only Moses, verse 2, only Moses could get close. So, So do you see here that not everyone could come near to God? One could, 
um, 73 could, could be there on the mountain, but still afar from God. And most theologians believe there were probably about 2 million Israelites at this point at the base of Mount Sinai. So there's 2 million people who have zero access to God. Only the elite could get close. Very few could participate in relating to God because the access to him was limited. Exodus 24, let's pick it up here in verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice, and they said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Verse 4, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. So now he's back with the two million. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins. And half of the blood he threw against or he threw onto the altar. Then he took the book of covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Famous last words. Verse 8, Moses took the blood and threw it, sprinkled it across the people. And said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all of these Here's the second thing we see happening here in this limited grace of God that came through the law. We see that God's salvation was a symbol. When I say God's salvation, I mean his rescue or his deliverance, his forgiveness. It was just, it was a symbol. God's rescue was merely a symbol. What was the symbol? It was this altar that we read about here with 12 pillars. So he makes these, he makes these two offerings here. One offering is for sin, And then one offering is for peace with God, that God's people might stay in peace with him. One was a sprinkling of blood on the altar, perhaps you saw that, or against the altar. And the other one, as disgusting as this may sound, it was a sprinkling or a a throwing of the blood upon the people themselves. Now that, of course, gives a, a foreshadow or a sign of the blood of Christ, but here it's the blood of bulls, it's the blood of goats, it's the blood of of oxen, specifically here in in chapter 24, that goes upon the people so the people might have peace with God. But here's what I want you to see about this symbol. This forgiveness wasn't permanent because the symbol itself was not permanent. It was temporary. The altar was just a shadow. It was just a, a symbol of something that will come that is permanent later on. But at this point, God's salvation was just Assemble. Pick it up here in verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, they went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand. This is God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and they, and they drank. Now stay with me on this point, because I say under the limited grace of God through the law in this passage, people knew God partially. Because the only description you get of God here is of his feet and what he was standing on. If they would have truly beheld the fullness of God, the fullness of God's glory, would they not have written out what the picture was, what, what the radiance was on, on the personhood or the deity of God? When you're describing somebody to someone else, you never start with their feet. You don't say, did you see that person with a 10 and a half W that came to, to church today? Or yeah, I know him really well. Like he wears nine and a half shoes. I love, I, I see his shoes. We don't describe people by their shoes or by, by their feet. We describe people by their height. 
by, by their looks, by their personhood. And so here they do not describe the, the deity of God or the brilliance of God. They describe not only his feet, but what he was standing on. So people knew God simply partially. These guys did not behold the fullness of God. They beheld the feet of God. They just saw him in part. Pick it up again here in Exodus chapter 24. Look at verse 12 with me. We'll go 12 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, come up to the mountain. Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and with the commandment which I have written for their instruction. A lot of key words there. Law, commandment, instruction. Verse 13, so Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God and he said to the elders, you wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur, they are with you. Whoever has a dispute, they're now in charge. Let them go, let him go to them instead. So Aaron and Hur are not gonna kind of hold down the fort of the complaint department of the, of the Israelites. And they're gonna go up, they're gonna get the law, they're gonna get the commandment, they're gonna get the instructions. Here's what I want you to see about the limited of grace, the limited nature of grace through the law is God's word was about rules. The commands are given. The instructions are given. The, the rules are given. We saw that back in, in verse 3. Uh, Moses came and told all the people all the words of the Lord and all of, all of the rules. So these commands were, were given. These are daily rules to live by. And these, these, these rules, if you will, if you've walked through the Old Testament or studied the Old Testament before, you know this is the condition of the covenant. If the people are going to stay in the blessing of God or in the favor of God, or if you will, in our sermon title today, in the grace of God, they're going to have to obey all of these rules, all of these programs, all of these regulations. They're going to have to obey all of these instructions. And if they do not keep these rules, then they're outside of the grace of God. They're outside of the covering or outside of the forgiveness of God because rule keeping on behalf of you and I, that was the condition of the covenant. Now, I find it hilarious, actually, that they cry out together in one voice. We saw this earlier. Oh, you tell us whatever we need to do, do God, and we will do it. You, you tell us what we need to do, and we will do it. For the next seven chapters in the book of Exodus, God just keeps on telling Moses all these instructions about the priest, about the tabernacle, about the scope of the tabernacle, continues to, to tell Moses about all these rules, all these regulations. And the next time that we see God's people is not until Exodus chapter 32. And guess what they're doing in Exodus chapter 32, verse one, building a golden calf. I mean, it does not take long at all for people to say, God's people to say, oh, I'll follow you every step along the way. And the very next time we see them, they're disobeying God's rule. Who does that sound like? Us. And if rules was the condition of the covenant, you and I would be in so much trouble, yet that was the limited portion or the limited nature of the grace of God in the Old Testament. God's word was all about the rules. Let's keep reading here. Exodus 24, pick it up in verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain. You see how many times he went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he, Yahweh, the Lord, called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of all the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Here's what I want you to see about the limited grace of God through the law. God's glory showed 
his terrifying power. It was a cloud that, that covered the mountain. Therefore, it was a cloud that covered the presence of God, the, the Shekinah glory of God, the radiance of God, the, the appearance of God's glory, not God himself, but just the, the glory of God. In Hebrew, the word for glory is the same word for weight. And so it's the weightiness of God just emanating, radiating from God. It's being covered here by, by, by this cloud, but also the glory of God. We see it described right here in this passage in verse 17. is like a consuming or devouring fire. Devouring. The Hebrew word is akel. And, and it means to eat everything that's around you, to eat everything that's in sight. Some of you akel this past Thursday at Thanksgiving. It just means to consume everything in, inside. It means to, to see something and to put it away. It means to entirely consume. But that is an adjective used here to describe the glory of God. It's not just that he was devouring. He is a devouring fire, a fire that kills, a fire that consumes, a fire that wipes out, a, a fire that lays waste to everything around it. And Moses had to ascend into the terrifying power of God, But when grace is limited through the law, that was as close to God as you could get. A terrifying power. We fast forward to a little town called Bethlehem. When God's one and only son, Jesus, enters into our world, Christ has come. What happens? Everything switches because Jesus is the fulfillment, the completion of the law, the completion of that old testimony of God. So now we go to John chapter one. So we've been in Exodus chapter 24. We don't do this often. Let's go over to John chapter one and just camp out in John chapter one for a little bit because the unlimited grace of God is now through Jesus. Limited grace through the law, grace without limit through Jesus. Let's go to my favorite Christmas passage or verse of all time, John chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to hear this a few times this morning. And the Word, that's Jesus. In your Bible, I'm assuming the, 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 the word Word is capitalized with a capital W there. It should be. This is in reference to Jesus and the Word. He became flesh and He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. Here's what I want you to see. The unlimited grace of God through Jesus. Now, access to God is for everyone. In Exodus chapter 24, access to God was just for the elite, uh, just for the very, very few. You have 73 out of the 2 million are even able to make it up to the mountain. Only one is able to make it into the terrifying presence of God. And now access to God is for everyone because Christ, verse 14 of chapter 1, took on flesh and he dwelt among us. He moved into our lives. Remember Moses and Joshua and Abinadab and Abihu and the seventy. They had to they had to go up. They had to hike up. They had to exert their energy going up to God. But now in this new testimony of God's grace, God comes down in Christ Jesus. He exerts His energy to come down to us. And in the Exodus story, you and I we're the people at the bottom of the mountain. We're the two million. We are the ones who had zero access to God. Someone had to go to God on our behalf, but now we have access to God through Christ Jesus. He comes to be with us. He sets himself up in our neighborhood. And he learns what it's like 
to be human. He even comes in the form of humanity, even the form of a servant. And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. It was once a point in spiritual history that we had to work our way to him. And now Christ is our Emmanuel. God has come to us. And I know I say this often, but I think in our culture today, I need to say it very often. This is what separates Christianity from every other major world religion. Because in every other major world religion, you're having to move yourself up toward God. In, in, in Judaism and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, they, they all have systems of, of work where you have to move your way up toward perfection or move your way up toward Allah or move your way up toward enlightenment or move your way up toward, toward Dharma. It is a working of humanity to try to get to God. But in Christianity, God comes to us. In Christ, God came to us. And Jesus gives us access. Everyone in this room today, you have access to God through Jesus Christ. John 1.14. You're going to get tired of this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now jump down in that same chapter, John 1. Jump down to verse 29, if you don't mind. John 1, 29. This is speaking of John the Baptist, not John who's writing this, this gospel, but this is John the Baptist. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the unlimited grace of God now expressed through Christ Jesus? Here it is. God's salvation is a sacrifice. In Exodus chapter 24, God's salvation was a symbol. It was just an altar. It was not permanent. Forgiveness was not permanent. But now salvation, again, which means rescue or which means deliverance or forgiveness, it's not a symbol, but it's a perfect sacrifice. Jesus. Jesus who came perfectly from the Father in, verse 14, flesh who lived this perfect life, lived up to the law. None in this place could live up to the law. He lived up to the law. He would die a perfect sacrifice so that he would, verse 29, take away the sin of the world. Paul writes about this a lot, especially in his theological treatise of, of the book of Romans, the letter to the church of Rome. Talks about who we once were without grace, who we once were without access through Christ, and now who we are because of Christ, the access we now have because of Christ to the Father. And I'm not going to read all of Romans 8 to you, but that's so much of what Romans 8 is about. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, you see it on the screen behind me. Here's what Paul writes. For what the law was powerless to do. That's what we've already read about in, in, in the book of Exodus, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature. Whose sinful nature? Our sinful nature. We could not keep our end of the bargain. We could not keep our portion or our condition of the covenant because it was weakened. The law was weakened by our sinful nature. What did God do? God did. He did what? He brought salvation by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. In other words, Jesus looked just like us on the outside for him to be a sin offering. And when he did so, what did Jesus do? He condemned. He killed the sin in us. The law was powerless to do. God did by the sending of his son, Jesus. John chapter one, no surprise, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jump down to verse 18, same chapter, John one, verse 18. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he, meaning Christ, has made him, made him, meaning God, known. Jesus has made God known. Here's the third way that we see this now unlimited grace of God through Christ Jesus. We can know God personally. Remember in Exodus chapter 24, they could only know God partially. But now, verse 14, we have seen his glory, glory that came from Jesus as the only son from the Father. God allows us to see him by seeing the glory of his son. Verse 18, Jesus has now made God known. I mean, the Son and the Spirit know God the Father more than anyone else. So now Jesus is explaining to us who the Father is. Jesus is God. He is the Son and the Trinity of God. And now he comes to us and he gives us, if you will, some inside information about how we can know this God, who this God is. His heart of love, his heart of grace, his heart of, of compassion. But not only does, 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 does the Son let us know the Father well, the Son then invites us in. Don't miss this. This is the essence of Christianity and the essence of Christmas. The Son now invites us in to that relationship with the Father. This is why you and I are called in the New Testament co-heirs with Christ. We are brought into this union because we're united with Christ and Christ is united with his Father. This is what it says in the book of Colossians that our lives are hid with God on high because we are hidden in Christ Jesus. John chapter one, let's go back a little bit to verse 15. Parenthetical statement, more than likely in your Bible, John bore witness about him. This is John the Baptist bearing witness about Christ. And John the Baptist cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Keep reading verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received this grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. We already saw that in Exodus. But now grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. Remember in Exodus 24, God's word was about rules. Here we see in the new testimony of God that God's word is about relationship. Grace upon grace, it says in verse 16. What does that phrase mean? If you were to dig a little deeper into the Greek, it would mean that grace is being built on top of grace. There's a foundation of grace, and then grace was built on top of that. What's the foundation of grace? God in the Old Testament. He was still a God of grace. I did, I did not say this morning that God had no grace in the Old Testament days. I'm just saying that there was limited grace because it had to come through the law. And so now Jesus comes and his grace builds on top of the grace of God in, in Exodus, the grace of God in the Old Testament, the grace of God before Christ came into the stream of humanity. So now you and I, we can build our lives upon the grace that's built upon the grace that comes through Christ Jesus. This is what it means, grace upon grace. In other words, God was not mean in the Old Testament and all of a sudden he's nice in the New Testament. It was not that God was without grace in the old and now has all this grace in the new, or he wasn't cruel in the Old Testament, now he's kind in the New Testament. He was a God of grace in the Old Testament, but now there's grace even built on top of that grace, which means there's explosive grace, unlimited grace, grace without measure, grace without bounds, grace, grace without a leash. It's a grace that continues to flow over our lives over and over again. Now when Christ comes, there's this amped up grace. There's this dialed up grace. It is flow, a flow of multiplied grace. Look at the relationship that we see here. Look at verse 15 again. Parenthetically, John bore witness about Christ and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Do you see that? Four pronouns. Him, he, he, he. Christianity is about a person, 
not a regulation. It's about a person, not a program. It's about a person, not a practice. It's about a person, not rules. And when God's word comes to us now, it comes to us in the form of relationship. We can have a relationship with God now and even rightly relate to God because we now have Christ Jesus. Verse 16, we've received this grace. It was not law that we received, grace that we received, verse 16. Verse 17, Moses brought the law. What does Jesus do? He ushers in grace. These are all words of relationship. We've been away from it way too long. Go back to John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jump down to verse 17 again. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the father's side, but he, Christ, has made, has made God, Yahweh, known. Here's the last thing I want you to see about the unlimited nature of grace through Christ Jesus. God's glory now shows us his tender goodness. In Exodus 24, God's glory was showing us his terrifying power. But look now how God's glory is experienced in Jesus. Verse 14, grace and truth. Verse 17, grace and truth. Verse 18, what was once inaccessible, the very presence of God is now accessible to us so that everyone in this room can be a partaker and beneficiary of the tender goodness of God through Christ Jesus. How tender is it? In the Old Testament, his goodness toward us was, ex was expressed through the sacrifice of an animal. How tender is his goodness toward you in this New Testament in which we now live, New Testament Christian? His goodness was expressed to us by the giving of his one and only son. Oh, we are recipients of the full tenderness of God. Now, what do we do with all this? Because Christ has come, God's grace is available for you. Our last 10 points have been theological in nature, informational in nature. But how do you take that information and apply it to your biography? How do you take that information about God and apply it to your life? Because Christ has come, this same grace that is a grace without limit is available for you. So let me just extend an invitation to all of you today to build your lives upon this grace. The grace that comes through Jesus. Look how John writes it here in John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What does that mean? It means that everyone in this room, if you want to, you can reject the grace of Jesus. You can push back on it. You can refuse it. Or you can, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. My plea for every one of you today is to build your lives upon the grace that comes through Jesus. Christ has come. What does it mean? We can now relate to God in a new way. Would you stand with me, please, for us to pray together?
Father, thank you for the richness of grace expressed to us through Jesus. We could not keep our side of the Old Testament. We cannot keep our side of the law. We can say all day long that we will follow you all the time with all of our heart, and the next thing we know, we're following something else or following you with a portion of our hearts. No wonder grace was so limited. But God, we praise you that you sent your one and only. That that grace would be built upon grace so that we could have unlimited access to grace through Jesus. That Jesus became Emmanuel, the God who came to us, the God who was with us, the God who came down from glory. We cannot work our way up to you, so you came down to us. We praise you that we can relate to you now in a brand new way. We thank you for the accessibility of grace, the accessibility of God the Father. That all are invited in because Christ has come.